good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. Every once in a while, we have an interview that compels us to take a detour. On May 27th, 2020, we launched an episode featuring Ricardo McCray, a captivating leader within this community. For those who are interested, I invite you to check out that episode featuring Ricardo called Playbook Live. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you do your listening. Now, during that talk, we spoke about mentoring, entrepreneurship, and financial management with a particular focus on the black community. And while that show presented us with many openings for a detour, it is this last nugget, financial management that is, that inspired this tangent. Now financial management, AKA fiscal responsibility, is a concern for all Canadians and people the world over. It impacts businesses, households, and people young and old. And while we grapple with that reality, it's important to understand the context we're dealing with. For starters, many countries are dealing with a shrinking or non-existent middle class. That cohort is the gateway to progress. Add to that, there remain critical inequities in the workplace, both racial and gender-based. There are unbalanced supply chains that keep power in the hands of a few powerful companies. All this, it seems, conspire to put a disproportionate burden on underrepresented communities. If there's pain to be felt, the disadvantaged will feel it. And they'll do it sooner and harder than anybody else. Add COVID-19 to the mix and you have a cocktail that's punishing to digest. So when facing these situations, we should seek progress and reconciliation, partially through education, through our own devices or through trusted resources. And so with that said, today's episode, our present detour, points our gaze squarely on fiscal management, financial responsibility, and takes a small but real bite out of that problem. Our show is dedicated to celebrating people and projects from the African continent. Every once in a while though, our paths cross someone who's not from the continent. And while it may be tempting to run from that exchange, I've opted instead to embrace it. For it is through these tangential conversations that our community and the broader audience of listeners can learn and grow. Today's tangent is not with an African guest, but holds significance for all listeners, be they from the continent or beyond. My name is Kondawani Mwase, and today's episode is The Ledge and The Ledger. 
Our guest today is Gabrielle Flores. Gabrielle works at RBC in wealth management. Now, Gabrielle is not your typical wealth management professional. He's active on LinkedIn. And if you watch his posts, you'll see that he showcases initiatives that drive his interests both in the financial industry and that drive his interest and support for philanthropic efforts. His personal approach to client management speaks volumes about his character and motivation, one that's not really driven by the bottom line. It's time. Here, in part, is my conversation with Gabrielle. start at the beginning which is where i start with everybody that i interview um we have a history but the audience has no idea who you are so can you give me your full name and the origins of your name sure i'll keep it i'll keep it brief uh first of all thank you very much for having me on the podcast uh i consider it an honor and uh you're right our history goes back uh um over 20 years and um, my name is Gabriel Flores. And to answer your question, the origin of my name is um, actually from El Salvador. So my parents uh, came to Canada in 1973 and 1975. Uh, my father first, then followed by my mother. And uh, I'm first generation Canadian, uh, born in 78 here in Montreal and uh, consider myself very fortunate uh, in that regard, uh, especially against uh, the current backdrop. And, um, and I am an investment advisor at RBC Domain Securities. If I can, if I can stick with your, with your name and your background for a second there, how close are you to your Salvadorian roots, if you will? Are you, uh, do you go back often? Is that part of your current culture, if you will? Um, so I've been back. I remember my early, my first memory of El Salvador was being there in 1986, while the Civil War was still going on. And, um, you know, I remember military checkpoints. You know, I remember hearing um, gunfire at dusk. Uh, I remember, obviously, military presence throughout. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a sense of kind of how fortunate how I was not having to grow up in that environment and also having the luxury of leaving that behind because I would come back to Montreal. So, you know, my, my connection to the country um, is really through my parents and more, more particularly through my grandparents. So my grandparents came to Canada uh, shortly after I was born. And, um, you know, as is the case with with many people, I think that are first generation Canadian, they're, they have um, you know their their grandparents around to help raise them while their parents are busy, you know, um, establishing a beachhead here in Canada. And I and I'm no different. That's where I learned my Spanish. That's how I learned about you know Salvadoran cuisine, and that's how I learned about where I came from. You mentioned in in, in the prologue there that you uh, worked. You work at RBC as a uh, investment advisor. Is that that's correct, right? That's correct. 
is there, like you talked about your grandparents and your dad and, and your mom and your dad, is there a history of that in your family from a financial institution perspective? Or are you, are you an outlier in that, uh, in that respect? You know what? I'm, I'm an outlier. I, um, and my career uh, trajectory is somewhat uh, unique in that regard because, you know, I was initially on a, on a, on a science track. Um, you know, I did my undergraduate degree in physiology mm. and I had done basic research in sciences, both in Montreal and in London, England. And I thought that was where I was headed. And, um, you know, I had studied that at that point in time, a lot of immunology. I'd studied also, uh, I'd worked in a lab as well with uh, tropical disease, uh, which I guess, uh, you know, in certain respects is pretty relevant these days. Yeah. Um, but I also, I guess, committed the, uh, the happy mistake of also taking some electives in business. And that really opened up a whole new world to me. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunity to see the interaction and the interplay between, you know, uh, macroeconomic events and, 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 and the markets and, 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 and finance in general. Um, that to me was a whole new world that I hadn't previously been exposed to. So, you know, at that point in time, I basically made that decision to, to, to shift to a finance background. And I was, um, you know, the only one in my family that had really gone in that direction. My sister's in, uh, in, 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 uh, in, in pharmaceuticals. Uh, my mother's a physician. My father's a retired architect. How, how has the current crisis affected your, your livelihood, your work? Well, I think that I'm quite fortunate in a certain regard because I haven't been as badly affected as some people out there. Um, you know, I hear stories all the time about small business owners and, and, and people that, uh, that depend on the hospitality and tourism industry. And, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my thoughts are with them because I'm sure they're going through a very difficult and uncertain period at this point in time. In terms of my business, you know, I'm able to run my business at full capacity from my home office. And so, you know, being able to meet with, uh, with an individual over coffee or, or over lunch or, or even in a, in a straightforward business meeting is, is not possible these days. And so we have to adapt. And part of adapting is leveraging the technology that we have. So I've been uh, more active in, in uh, webinars and, and, in, and in doing uh, uh, virtual meetings. And I think that um, we were headed in that, in that direction to begin with, mm. but um, the COVID crisis really accelerated things and, and brought that timeline a lot closer in, in many different industries, including my own. I had a, um, a previous interview with, of which this portion, your response will drop in. Um, where there was one gentleman whose his perspective was to say, when you are playing the financial investment game, uh, if you're not playing that game, if you're not looking at that, you are you are just you're out of the game. You don't even know the rules. You're just you're just a pawn in 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 the world, so to speak. And so, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what impact has the current crisis had on people who are your um, key constituents, like your key clients? How has that changed their lives? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think the best way to answer that question is in uh, highlighting the fact that my approach is highly geared towards education and information. 
And I think that if I am able to convey uh, information about what's happening in the markets, uh, what's happening in, in, in macroeconomics, uh, how different industries are being affected, uh, and bring that back to um, you know, the, the circumstances of, of whoever I'm speaking to at the time, I think that adds a certain level of, um, uh, of, um, of empowerment. Um, you know, I think information is power and I think that education and being able to walk my clients and, and other individuals through uh, uncertain times is extremely important. And that gives them uh, that peace of mind that they need to focus on what's important to them. And whether that is in, you know, the, addressing the basic needs of their family, whether it, that is in um, getting the reassurance that they need in terms of um, the fact that their cash flow is going to be adequate over this uncertain period of time, mm -hmm. or whether it's in bringing in um, any number of partners that I work with to be able to better their uh, personal situation, I can do that. And, and I want to do that. And uh, the end result uh, is rewarding to me because, you know, if I can shepherd my clients through, um, you know, the uncertainty that we witnessed in February and in March and, and, and throughout the course of, of early April, you know, then I'm doing my job and I'm able to add value. And part of being able to do that is being an effective communicator. And so if I can communicate to them and listen to what their underlying uncertainties and uneasiness is, then I can better uh, forge that relationship for the long term. And I think in my experience, if, if, you know, if we can make it through this period of time relatively unscathed, then um, you know, the confidence in our relationship is going to be that much stronger. In the course of your career in this domain, you talked a lot about uncertain times, and certainly we're living through some now. People come to you for help, for advice, for counsel. Your industry has been racked with some players who have taken their clients, uh, taken that trust and sort of essentially done damage to the whole industry by doing the wrong things with, with, with what they've been entrusted to do. How do you in your relationships with your clients, how do you combat that stigma? You know, unfortunately, um, there, there are more uh, uh, cynical views of, of the industry uh, than I would like. Uh, but uh, what I tell my clients is that ultimately we're going to build trust through transparency. And that, um, you know, if I'm able to convey to them in the limited amount of time that we have when we first meet or when we first speak, the, what my intentions are in helping them address their uh, current and future financial situation, then that already starts to engender some of that trust and confidence that we need to build a strong foundation for us to work going forward. And, you know, I remind them that I'm a fiduciary, that I act in their best interests, that uh, ultimately, you know, in being able to work with them in, in uncertain times, is where I can add value and I can also leverage on my previous experience from, you know, the 0809 crisis and also, you know, leverage on my experience in, in, uh, in, in working with people through that area. You know, there are many parts of, of, uh, of my business and one of the parts of my business, for example, where I think I can show 
the level of trust, trust and confidence that, that, I can, um, that I can bring to a relationship is with uh, older clients, uh, you know, seniors. Um, there's been quite a, unfortunately, um, a negative amount of press around, you know, how advisors and even family members um, take advantage of seniors, um, whether it be, you know, quite frankly, ripping them off um, in terms of uh, stripping them of any, um, any of their wealth, but also in terms of uh, depriving them of, of uh, the fruits of their own labor over the course of their lives. And so, you know, for me, the opportunity of working with uh, that particular subpopulation is also particularly interesting and rewarding because, you know, I can come in and, uh, and, and work with that type of client and their families, quite frankly, to be able to protect their wealth and be able to have it uh, be used in, uh, in a way that, uh, that they want. Um, you, you mentioned about seniors and, and it, it triggered a part of my mind to go to people who are not necessarily underbanked because I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I think that might be a little bit too extreme in, in what I was trying to ask, but people who maybe don't leverage resources such as yourself um and are they like are they missing out um i'm assuming you would say yes but but maybe in a short way in the shortest answer as possible why are they missing out if they're not using a council such as yours well look i mean every every uh, every advisor uh, runs their business differently um in 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 my regard uh you know when i when i meet someone um i really take the time to listen to them and I take the time to better understand their previous experience, if any, with a financial professional. Um, you know, sometimes it's been traumatic uh, and sometimes it's been, you know, suboptimal. Um, so that's important for me to know. It's important for me to know some of the background and where they're coming from. And it's also important for me to better understand sort of where the pieces fit at the moment. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we spend the discovery meeting, uh, you know, talking about what their, what their pie in the sky type idea is and, and what their ideal situation would be. And then we go back and try to reverse engineer how we can get there. And, um, you know, that sometimes that means having a difficult conversation about, you know, uh, credit repair. Um, that might ha that might be a difficult conversation about, you know, making sure that they've also, um, taking the adequate steps in, in protecting their estate. So part of the conversation really is, you know, when was the last time that you updated your will? And I would say nine out of 10 times, the reply is, I don't have a will. Mm. And when that happens, I think we have to pivot to a conversation of, okay, well, what's, what's important to you? Um, you know, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Because you know, as we found out with uh, the tragic events of Kobe Bryant earlier this year, you never quite know when your legacy is going to begin. And when you look at things from that perspective and how fleeting life can be, especially in light of the recent events of COVID-19, um, to be able to uh, have that peace of mind that that type of planning can give you can't be measured in dollars and cents. Uh, you did mention how every every advisor, every professional in your domain is different. 
you seem to be very different from a lot of your colleagues that I'm aware of. So that, that's not a, a slide against your community, but you do things differently. Where does that come from? I mean, you know, part of, part of what I've seen before is I believe you do have your services are available in Spanish. You do do a lot of things out there. Um, I want to talk about responsible investing in a second, but you do seem to put a lot of the um, um, activities that you do for fundraising and charities online. So it seems that you have a different, a different flair to you. Where does, it, where does that come from? Well, that's a great question. And where that comes from is, you know, we only really have one life to live at the end of the day. And to choose a uh, profession or a vocation that gives you purpose and motivates you on a daily basis, whether it's in the midst of the most disastrous uh, bear market or, or not, is, um, is something that uh, not everyone can, can find. And I guess I've been fortunate enough to find uh, a profession that um, really leverages all my previous experiences in both financial markets and, and in life. And so for me, I think that my approach is different because I come to it from a point of uh, gratitude. And uh, I come to it from a point of, you know, really looking to positively affect change in not only my client situation, so bringing them closer to where they need to, they need to get, um, but also in the grander scheme of things, as you touched on, on the responsible investment and on the ESG side of things, in trying to help educate and inform my client and, and really the general public on how they can affect positive change and see the change that they want to see in the world around them through their investments. You know, ultimately, what am I trying to achieve? I'm trying to achieve um, a business uh, that is sustainable. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that by way of running a highly, um, a business of high integrity, one where, uh, you know, I walk the walk, uh, and one as well where, you know, ultimately it boils down to how I can add value to a particular client situation. And that brings me uh, fulfillment, and that brings me a level of reward that is um, priceless. Is that, is that the inspiration behind responsible investing? Is that why you do that? in your portfolio, I suppose, or? That, that's, that's a part of it. That's definitely a part of it. I always, um, you know, I think of, you know, the, the, um, the way that people um, want to uh, affect the world positively, you know, whether it means by composting or recycling, or whether that means, you know, um, you know, driving less and biking more, or whether that means, you know, just doing things that, uh, that are more environmentally or socially uh, oriented. You know, so fundamentally, I think that people want to do, do good. And one of the things that I talk about is that one of the most effective ways to affect positive change is by voting with your wallet and by investing in a fashion that is in line with your values and in a way that 
you know, you can better affect uh, the change that you want to see in the world by um, allocating your capital to industries and businesses that are making changes happen, whether it be on the environmental side of things, on the social side of things, in taking care of the um, worker, for example, or on the governance side of things, investing in companies that run ethical businesses with strong governance practices. I think that at the end of the day, that's something that, um, that needs to be more front and center if we're going to um, affect the change that we wanna see over the coming decades. Dream vacation, no limits, two weeks. We are in a uh, either a pre-COVID or a post-COVID, meaning uh, we've got a vaccine, so it's not an issue. Where are you going? You know, I, I think I'd like to take my my family, my kids, to a place like the Galapagos. You know, I've uh, I, I've studied the history of science and and and, and evolution and. And, uh, and all the work that Charles Darwin did in the Galapagos. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, given what we see in, 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 in environmental trends, I don't know how much longer that biosystem and ecosystem will, will exist uh, in its current form. So to be able to see that now uh, and share that experience with my family, I think would be quite priceless. Are you a man of the sword or are you a man of the pen? Well, if that pen is uh, if that pen is able to write checks and if that pen is able to direct investments in areas that are going to affect change, then that's who I am. Because you know, I think we've sh we've seen that um, you know voting for one pol political party or another um, might bring some short-term change. But as soon as the party switches over, a lot of that change is unwound. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that if you're looking to make permanent positive change happen, um, that you're better off voting with your wallet. You're better off in showing uh, companies and industries um, that you can uh, that you can allocate your capital, and that that goes two ways. You can take capital away or you can allocate capital too. So there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank everyone who's participated in today's show, be they behind the scenes or on the mic. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Corner Studios with the assistance of our producer, John Kitt. Music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed with permission by Joachim Nortebert and Andy Ninval. If you like what you've heard, there's more. 
follow us on Instagram and Twitter under our handle, Crowd54. Remember, you can find us wherever you do your listening. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and that's just a few of them. Listen, like, share. Until we meet again. Thanks for listening.